And hello, my friend. How are you feeling after that race? I'm fantastic, really. How are you? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm still I'm I'm furious. Um, uh, what exactly are you mad at? Formula One is a is a is a terrible sport. <laughs> um, I am mad at the FIA. I I think I think the stewards were ridiculous um, in terms of how they handled that race and its safety. I'm mad at Liberty and Formula One. I think there was sports washing. I'm mad at Max Verstappen. Um, I think he was. He's given the ammunition now to everyone who has ever um, uh, had criticisms of him. He's given them ammunition for a lifetime in terms of how that was absolutely reckless by him. Um, I'm mad that Perez went into the wall. I'm just mad about a lot of things. But I guess it's different from the Mercedes side of the garage, isn't it? Your tears are my joy. <laughs> because if you look at it, we had a perfect race. Besides the red flags and everything, we really did have a perfect race. But I'm also mad with you at the stewards and FIA because that was basically a sham of a race. And there were so many safety concerns that they disregarded those things just for the entertainment side of um, racing. Like, it just wasn't about racing yesterday. It was just much more than the sports. And I've never seen something like that in my life, in my years of watching Formula One. I've never seen anything like that. I couldn't agree more. And I think the best part, you know, like you, you've summed it up, but hello, actually we should say who we are, isn't it? Um and what we're doing, <laughs> you know, we do get carried away. And, and I think that's why we started this podcast. But, um, you know, welcome to everyone who's listening. Uh, the first episode of the DRS Open podcast. Um, my name is Langa. I, uh, I uh, affiliate myself with Red Bull Racing. And everything Red Bull, to be to be honest, uh, not just not just Red Bull racing. And as you may have really picked up, I am a Max Verstappen fan, um, which is going to get me a lot of interesting comments, I would imagine. And my co-host <laughs> Wamu, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, hi guys, welcome to Dears Open. My name is Wami and I am a huge, huge Lewis Hamilton fan, and that kind of makes me rip Mercedes as well. So yeah, um, I guess I'm on the right side of history today, as I always am. Actually, I don't know about my co-host, but yeah, um, he chose the side, so <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, listen, we we do intend to make this a full-on Formula One. Um, podcast where we're going to talk about the grid and everything that related to the sport. But I think the nature of this race in Saudi Arabia, um, both in terms of the lack of on-track action and the the controversy and, you know, the sort of dangerous driving around um, Max Verstappen and Red Bull means that a lot of this episode will focus on what happened at the front. But for all intents and purposes, this is intended to be a full-on um, uh, thing where we look at teams from Ferrari to Williams to Haas um, and Aston Martin, McLaren, Alpha Tauri. And if I've forgotten anyone, um, uh, Williams, of course, um, in the week of, of the passing of Sir Frank Williams. Um, but, you know, it, it, really, 
I've always yeah. thought that if I if I supported a a tra- one of those sort of traditional teams, quote unquote, that I would probably support Williams. I've always had a soft spot for them. I actually don't see myself ever supporting any other team other than Mercedes, which is actually a very tricky thing because next year's lineup isn't making me really happy, but we'll get to that on another day. <laughs> oh, yeah. But also, you know, it's, it's the nature of Formula One. Teams enter the sport, they leave the sport. Uh, you know, if someone said to me in 2012 they supported Kimi Raikkonen and Lotus, uh, you know, that team wasn't there a couple of years right, later. So, you know, sometimes it's the decision is taken out of our hands. But, you know, if we just get straight into the weekend, you know, on Friday and and the days leading up to this particular race, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton coming off the back of two victories in a row, um, lightning pace at Brazil, um, and a, a wonderful performance by him out in the front in Qatar. Uh, everyone suggested that this was going to be a Mercedes track. I am one of those people who believed it, although I would add that I secretly had a little bit of hope for Red Bull, um, given the amount of corners and the dirty air um, that I anticipated that this track might might produce. And so I thought to myself, you know, um, I didn't think that Mercedes were going to be as far ahead as most people thought. And that kind of happened, I think, on Friday as we pulled down into the weekend um, we saw some encouraging signs from a Red Bull perspective that they were not out of touch with Mercedes. Um, and you know, if, sorry, uh, you know, I think that just sort of thing, set the backdrop set the backdrop for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. If there's one thing I've realized about this entire season is that there isn't a Mercedes or a Red Bull dominant track. You get into the weekend and you, you, you see a bit of dominance from both teams, but it's all to play for until quality and, and the race. That's one thing I've learned. So with all this hope that we had for coming to this weekend, we just thought that it would, um, we thought that Mercedes would dominate. But in essence, I just thought that, you know what, it's it's anyone's game, to be honest, because you look at it, you look at Brazil, we thought that we thought that Red Bull would be dominant, which they were for the practice sessions, but we dominated quietly, even though they made a mistake, but Mercedes still dominated quietly. And then you look at Brazil, I think, oh, well, Brazil was a Mercedes track fully, but that's because, there was there was a new engine. I'm not going to call it a spicy engine or whatever, but there was a new engine. So really, that that was what <laughs> that that was what made it a Mercedes track. And then we go into Qatar. Um, there's still a bit of dom- Red Bull dominance and Mercedes dominance, but because of that long straight, that's where we dominated mostly because Mercedes was like a bit strong on the straights. But when you look at the data as well, you see that Red Bull and Mercedes had the same pace when it came to the straights. So I, I came into this weekend a bit optimistic, obviously, but I just knew that it literally was anyone's game to play for. Absolutely. Um, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think I think some of the, the top speed line advantage uh, that Mercedes had, uh, we saw that sort of equalize in Qatar. Um, and I think they got it back out there again um, in terms of the top speed, which might be related to the engine, um, uh, or the rather the fresher engine. Uh, again, that's why the corners, I thought, were going to be so crucial. A lot was made about the fact that 
whilst there are 27 official corners on the circuit, a Formula One car would only really recognize 14, given that a lot of these corners were flat out. Um, uh, and, and, and therefore, the Formula One car recognizes it as a straight. And, you know, people thought that was going to play into Mercedes' hands. And I think it did on, on net balance, but it was nowhere near um, uh, sort of, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? It was nowhere near clear cut um, as people thought, because as we saw in qualifying, or as you guys saw, because mercifully, I did not watch qualifying on Saturday uh, Max Verstappen on an absolute flyer and I think that set the tone for the weekend where he goes purple purple in the first two sectors um, was two and a half tenths up on Lewis Hamilton's time which was at that point provisional pole and then he throws his car into the wall I mean I think also you know is that a metaphor to- for the whole weekend <laughs> I think also going into quali it was still um anyone's game really because Huan because you didn't really watch it you just I think you just watched the last um you just watched the first session Huan but going to yes Q1, I, I I only watched Q one and then I was on uncle duty yes so going to Q one we um saw that Mercedes no we saw that Ripple were at a bit of an advantage because they started setting faster times than us and then the and then we're going to Q2. I think Q2 was when the last lap of Q2 was when Mercedes put three seconds on, was it three, no, three tenths on um, Red Bull's heads. And that's when we kind of all had hope that, okay, this might not just be Red, this might not go to, this might not play into Red, Bull ha- Red Bull's hand, but it will. It can also be a Mercedes track or a Mercedes um, quali. We're going to Q3. Um, the first, few laps the first few laps are a bit tricky because there was so much traffic oh my god this track had so much traffic and there was just so many almost crashes that happened but they didn't Mm. happen so we go into q3 and those laps happen and then when we get to to the last laps lois also sets of i think it was a one two seven six one five i'm not sure but it was literally one two seven and then max goes on his last lap sets a purple sector in the first sector um sets another purple sector and then gets too aggressive and i think he forgot that the last corner you need to be a bit careful towards the last corner because literally a small mistake might put you into the wall which he did he put himself into the wall and i'm not gonna lie to you guys i was happy (laughs) (laughs) no of course all's fair in love and war i think you know, there's been a lot of comments about, you know, should uh, GP Lampiasi, his engineer, have been in his um, in his ear and said, you know, sort of, Max, you've got two and a half tenths. But there's so much jeopardy and so much danger and, and essentially trying to tell a racing driver to slow down. Uh, you can overcompensate. And, you know, um, we're not talking about any driver on the grid here. We're talking about... You know, the guy who's pushed uh, Lewis Hamilton to the absolute tilt in the longest season in Formula One history. Um, so you trust him to to do to do what he does and pull off uh, amazing things. It didn't work out. But, I, you know, I just don't agree with the narrative that GP should have been in his ear. Uh, it could have been a distraction and, and caused a lot more damage than what subsequently happened. But I would say is that Hamilton, um, one thing he's brilliant at, and he does this in the race, and he did this in the race um, in, in, in Saudi Arabia, 
was that he's a he, he he's he constantly applies pressure and and forces you into a make through relentless pressure and you know max had been pushing all weekend but he knew due to the time that hamilton had set that he had to pull out something extraordinary and it is in those moments where you might just push the car just a little bit too far and make a mistake as it appears that it happened on saturday but you know to move on to the to the race proper i, I don't know if you have anything else to comment about quali uh before I we move on to the race because also i think yeah. also um every person on the grid every driver on the grid has said that lois chasing you down or just knowing that you're competing with lois is enough pressure on its own and now you have a, an engineer in your ear telling you that he's just said i'm um, the fastest time of the session obviously that's too much pressure so as much as I dislike, um, but I dislike Max. I kind of get the mistake that he did. <laughs> like he crumbled under pressure. Like he really did because there was just so much pressure around that lap already. Like Hamilton had just said his past, his fastest um lap that made him that put him on provisional pole. And then his engineer, I think his engineer told him that Hamilton is um on provisional pole. Of course, that's going to drive you. But then that's also going to put so much more pressure on you that mistakes are easily not avoidable yeah i think i think you've hit the nail on the head um and it, it, it is it's exactly that it's just it's it's the relentless nature of it because you know this is a guy who about a month ago um was ice cool under the most relentless pressure from hamilton Dakota, right um he was under pressure chasing hamilton in france uh, you know, having pitted from the front of the race. And I think, um, you know, Max has shown that he does have the composure and temperament in those big moments. But I do think that it's just the the length of this pressure. Um, you know, France and Quota were, you know, after maybe, say, I don't know, eight or nine weeks and maybe 17 weeks, which is historically how long Formula One seasons have been, as you know, 17 races. Um Yesterday was race twenty-two, uh, or rather twenty-one of twenty-two, and and eventually, you know, uh, we're all human beings and we're going to crack. So, I think you know the context. It was not just the 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 one session in Saudi Arabia. It was the accumulation of pressure for an entire year. Um, and you've got to give Hamilton his credit. Um, uh, because I think some people have tweeted, have said this before, commented about this before about Hamilton, which is that he's really extraordinary in the second half of, of Formula One seasons. And this is not just about this year. I mean, even in 2016, when he lost the championship to Rosberg, he won the last four races. You know, Rosberg had just built up enough of a buffer that he was able to uh, finish second in all four of those races and and bring his championship home. Um so this is not unusual. And I think, you know, it's something interesting for Max to learn and any other driver um, from Hamilton, which is about how do you preserve your energy and your concentration at the end of the season? Because, you know, um, uh, Hamilton didn't really start the season off at 100%. He was sort of at 95%. Um, but that 5% when you're fighting for a championship is really, really big. I, um, and I think, I think we saw also, that in the first half of the season. But since he came back, he's been unbelievable. Yeah. 
I think also um the media kind of got to Max and Max I always hear his interviews and he's always like he doesn't care what's being said in the media but if a lot of people a lot of people around you are hyping you up and saying that no Hamilton is buckling under pressure you you're also gonna think that hmm he might maybe he might just be maybe he might just be cracking under pressure and then relax a bit because. There's been so many tweets, so many reports. The media have just been saying Hamilton is under pressure. Hamilton is buckling under pressure without actually realizing that him, all these things, all these negativity, all these negative things said about Lewis actually fuels him. Lewis knows how to channel negative energy into and makes and, and become a beast. And I think that's just phenomenal. I'm still trying to learn how to do that. But Lewis just nails it. He just knows how to do that. And going to this weekend i think max also had this thing where he's just like it's either i win this entire weekend i dominated or i'm just i'm at, I'm at the back foot so he went also into this weekend being under so much pressure and then quietly happened and then like he just put his car in the wall of, of course he's gonna go into the race with also like just i'm i'm in it to win it but it's also like his racing mentality that i have a problem with i actually have a lot of problems with max first happened but i'm not gonna get into that right now <laughs> right now but i think i think we might i think i mean you've set us up uh because that you do carry that momentum and that energy into the race and surprisingly we got a clean start on the first start um there was a lot of people worried about what might happen in turn one we had some terrible stuff uh happening in in the formula two race uh, for any motorsport fans out there, it's not it's not it's not great to watch. Um, red flags, safety cars, and off the the restart in the Formula Two race, um, we had a really really nasty collision. I know now that uh, one of the drivers has broken his ankle. Um, the other one is still in hospital, but they should both be fine. Although unlikely to drive in Abu Dhabi next week for the final round of the F2 championship. So we, as motorsports fans, were a lot on edge about the circuit um, uh, safety uh, and the jeopardy, particularly off the line. But we got off well. Hamilton, um, Bottas and Verstappen in first, second and third got off the line uh, relatively clearly. Max had a little bit of a... Um, I don't know if you call it a battle um, with with uh, uh, Charles Leclerc, who was in P4 after a really strong qualifying. But once they got through that, it sort of settled. And I actually thought to myself, oh, well, um, as the field started to spread out a bit um, after eight or nine laps, I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe we've got some really good Formula One drivers who, you know, these are the best in the business. And perhaps, you know, the, the accidents and the crashes that we had anticipated was... Um, not right. And then Mick Schumacher threw his car on the wall. Into the wall. <laughs> and then that's where <laughs> you FIA know, started acting very funny because we go into Mick Schumacher hits a wall, and then a safety car is de- deployed almost instantly. We get a safety car. And then five laps into the safety car, apparently the session is red flagged. And why I and then one would ask, why didn't the session get red flagged instantly? Because you if a car hits a barrier, you already know that that barrier suffered damage, right? And then why can't the session just be red flagged until the car is taken off the track and that barrier is fixed? Why then waste five laps behind a safety car? You look at it and you're like, hmm, it might just not be that way. Before that, you you forgot to mention that before the safety car 
no yeah before um the red flag i i'm the one that forgot to mention it i'm sorry um hamilton and butters i think lando norris as well a few drivers actually pitted changed tires and right after like that lap i think the out lap after the pit stops the the session is red flagged and it's just like why do they wait until drivers why did they wait until drivers pitted to announce the red flag just that started being very it's sus behavior from the fia i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i think this is the first part where we perhaps disagree just a little bit because um at the moment Schumacher went into the wall and I was watching the race with uh, two of my cousins. And the first thing I said immediately was, oof, that car's going to take a while to clear. Um, and I think they took about three laps under the safety car to clear the car. Um, and I would say this about the FIA, uh, that um, certainly safety is important, but we we we, we don't like having red flags thrown out um, willy-nilly. And I think in the defense of the FIA in this particular instance, um, they could only have understood the extent of the damage to the wall once Schumacher's car was removed. And that's when they red flagged the session. Um, I think in that context, you know, you can't compromise on safety, which we know that they contradicted quite later, but I think they were right in this decision. Um, and I would add that uh, Bono, um, uh, 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 Lewis Hamilton's uh, engineer, did make the point that Mercedes understood that there was the risk of a red flag and pitting Hamilton um, under the red flag. They just did not anticipate that that would actually happen. Um, and yeah, so that was the first interesting part because what happened at that point in the race, again, Hamilton and Bottas were leading. Um, they, both Mercedes drivers pitted, you know, sort of try to get a cheap pit stop because it's a cheap pit stop because, uh, the cars are driving a lot slower. So you lose less time, um, for the pit stop essentially to, to your rivals, but then Red Bull, um, having seen how difficult it was to stay, um, even close to Valtteri Bottas, Max was always more or less about a second to a second and a half behind him without threatening at all. Um, kept him out for track position, and then once the car, once the session was red flagged, it meant that uh, Max Verstappen's able to change his tires for free. And suddenly, now we had a situation where Verstappen's leading the race, um, Hamilton P two, Bottas P three, uh, and we're going to have another standing start. Uh, Mercedes were not happy, and I understand that they were frustrated, but I think they did understand the risks of pitting him under that safety car, pitting them under the safety car, both their drivers. I think um, everyone else was mad, really. Um, I got on Twitter and I saw so many conspiracies and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to log off and wait until the restart <laughs> and just see what's going to happen. And going to that restart, Max was on pole and then Lotus P2, Bottas was P3. I don't know how the rest of the grid looked like, but I knew that Perez was P8. I don't know how that happened. But yeah, cool. Um, so, so yeah, Red Bull did split their strategies. So Perez, Perez did pit under the under the uh, safety car, which is how he ended up there. Oh, and that backfired really, really hard. <laughs> so we're going to... It did. We're going yeah. to the second restart. Max um, has a terrible start. Lewis, um, I think... Lewis had a good thought. Lewis had a great reaction time. 
he passes Max. Max goes wide. Well, he didn't even go wide. He wasn't pushed off the track. You watch the replays, you see that he really just wasn't pushed off track. He just didn't have track position. And then he just decided to um take to go over the curbs and take first position, which was like, um, sir, this not that's not called racing. And then you have Ocon who also, because that kind of destabilized Hamilton, <laughs> you have Ocon, who was, I think, behind Lewis. I don't know how that happened. Ocon, no, Ocon was P4, but he flew past Bottas and Lewis and was P2. And it was just, it was really mind-boggling. That second restart was just mind-boggling. And then after that, there's a there's an incident at the back. I don't know how Maz, what Mazepin did. I just know that that um, crash involved Mazepin into the wall. Perez was also out. I don't know what Perez was called but damages had suffered. But Charles Leclerc was almost into that um, crash too. He was almost part of that incident, but he managed to um, avoid it. I don't know. I also don't remember how, because you know when you're watching a race, especially this season, you're most fo- you're mostly probably focused on the front than the midfield and the back markers. Like you just really focus on what Max mm-hmm. is doing that you forget to watch the rest of the midfield until you rewatch the race. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think what happened at the front, so you're right. So the, so P1 was on the outside. Um, and so Hamilton gets a fantastic start. Max moves over onto the inside, trying to cover him off. He quickly realizes that uh, Hamilton's already passed him. Uh, but then Hamilton, Hamilton sort of, you know, squeezes him out onto the outside. And uh, I personally didn't see the need to take that line. Um, but you know, fair off, you know, he's, he's the lead car. He's, he's entitled to take whichever line he essentially wants to take. Max, uh, breaks later, um, around the outside, but he finds himself again with very little room around the outside as a result, um, of this, uh, you know, people, if you're, if, if you're, if you're, um, anti Red Bull, I guess in this particular instance, and I'm not saying that one is right or one is wrong. You might say that Max should back out of that corner. Um, if you're pro Red Bull, you're saying, well, Hamilton's moved over unnecessarily. He had plenty of room on the inside. And uh, therefore, Max was entitled um, to, 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 to hold his line and go around the outside. His, his subsequently to going around the outside, um, he goes over the curbs. And again, you know, a Red Bull or someone who's 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 impartial, to, who's partial to Max, might say to you, "Well, um, if if he had tried to turn in more aggressively, he would have crashed uh, with Hamilton." I think that's just that's, that's just what would have happened. And so he took evasive action. And in fact, again, I'm I'm, I'm putting on a narrative here. Um, Hamilton might have actually squeezed them out wide. Uh, I don't think I don't think either is either of those two positions are necessarily 100% correct. Um, Max could probably have backed out, uh, but I do think that Hamilton didn't have to take that line. But um, what what happened as a consequence was that Ocon had got a better start than Bottas, uh, had passed Bottas, and due to the squabble with Max and Hamilton, he fi- suddenly found himself in P1. Uh, Max, when he rejoined this track after going over the curbs, quickly dispatched of Ocon. And suddenly we had a situation with Verstappen on on um, uh, uh, on 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 a set of uh, hard tires um, is in the lead of the race. Uh, 
who's this boy now? Um, uh, uh, Ocon is P2 and Hamilton P3. But, and this is what got really interesting again, um, Red Bull were very, very quick to say um, to Max, give the position back. But like you said, there was a crash at the back Wait. and we had another red flag. Wait, yeah, yeah, that's not how yeah, it yeah. happened. Yep. They did, they did say happened. that. They... <laughs> that's Am I misremembering that? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry if I've mis- if I've misremembered that. I yeah, I, I apologize. Yeah. So what had happened was you okay, Ocon gets P2, um, Max is on the lead again, Lewis is P3, I don't know who was behind him. And then there's a crash at the back, which results in another red flag, and Max was on hard, I think. Yeah. They pit. Yeah. So no pitting, um, there's a we hear we're watching the race, but now we hear a negotiation like it was Black Friday deal between the FIA and well, it wasn't even between the FIA, it was between Massey and it was between Massey and I think Jonathan Wheatley. I'm not sure who it was between, but then Massey's a, is, is basically um giving them offers. As, so what what had happened was oh Ma- Michael Massey is the race director by the way for anyone who doesn't know who Michael Massey is. So the race director was telling Jonathan Wheatley, who is also an engineer, is it even in no yeah, I I really just sorry guys I really just don't care about Red Bull like that. So um Red Bull and the FIA and and the race director were basically giving each other offers. Massey was like, "You're going to have to give Hamilton back his position, or I'm taking this thing to to I'm taking it further to the stewards." And Ripple was like, "Wait, we'll think about it. We'll get back to you in two minutes' time." And then we're all just watching this, like, "Okay, what's happening? Like, why is this an offer and take it or leave it type of thing? Like, when did this? When is who's who's in charge here? Who's the authority? Why is the authority giving?" A team that was raw was in the wrong was giving them um what's this was giving them offers instead of just enforcing a rule like this is what had happened and we're all just really shocked like when did this start becoming a thing in Formula One where teams are just negotiating with each with the race director personally with the race director in terms of what they should get and how they should get a penalty. I personally was very very um, confused and pissed off. Sure, and I and I certainly appreciate that the optics of that moment didn't look good, um, but when we like when you think about it and like you 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 imagine that there wasn't a red flag, right? It is always a negotiation, and I think people maybe took this thing out of context. If let's assume that there wasn't the crash at the back, and again. Uh, Verstappen goes over the curbs and he ends up um, in the front of the race, right? The stewards would have said um, to Max to please give the position back. So, so okay, wait, let me, let me start that again. The chain of command would have gone stewards to Red Bull, right? And then Red Bull's race, en- uh, Max's race engineer in this instance, GP Lambiasi would have been... Would have been on the radio to Max to say, "Max, please give the position back um, to Lewis Hamilton." The but it's an instruction from the FIA, and it always is an instruction from the FIA. However, you drivers don't actually have to listen, right? It's it's kind of like um, uh, you don't actually have to listen to the rule of changing your tire compounds once in a race, but there is a penalty if you don't do that. And we've actually seen this happen a lot of times before. And I may be misremembering the exact detail, but at Monza, 
um, Red Bull and Perez were told to give a position back. I believe I, I might be misremembering this, but then they decided not to do it, um, understanding that they may get a five-second pi- penalty at the end of the race um, for gaining an unfair advantage, um, which is what actually ended up happening. And but you know, Perez was unable to pull out a five-second gap, um, which would have made the penalty null and void. So the optics didn't look good, but that's how it would have happened if the race was rolling. Um, it just felt worse because once again, we were under red flag conditions and the FIA was saying, you can give the position, please give the position back to Hamilton. It's your choice. And it's only your choice because we have to have to start again on the grid. But if you do not, right, then we're going to take this to the stewards and you will have to live with the consequences of any penalties. Um, it always is a negotiation, but the optics of this just weren't good because we're under a red flag. That's it, I think. Okay, so what I'm getting from what you just said, actually, it's really quite clear, but but basically just to um, explain it further, just saying that in every race, if someone gives an, un- an unfair advantage, usually the, the race director and the the race director and one of the team um, representatives have a negotiation where they're just like, um, you either give it back or I take it further to the stewards. So the reason why yesterday was taken a bit out of context and everyone was pissed off, including me, was because of, um, was mostly because of how it was, how we heard it and it was under a red flag basically, right? Yeah, basically. And, um, you know, and again, because if, if the race was running, right, they wouldn't have had the time to say, okay, go and think about it or whatever. They would have said, um, GP, tell Max to give um, the position back because the race control doesn't um, directly talk to the drivers. And uh, Max at that stage would have, uh, you know, had about maybe a lap or so, um, depending on how far behind Hamilton was. Um, uh to give that position back and another interesting thing is if the race was still running who would max have given the position to i'm i'm just this is just an interesting hypothetical to me because he was at that stage ahead of ocon um uh you know does he was he supposed to give up two places but you know that's just this a weird hypothetical that i was just thinking about it's not it's not relevant but yeah that is essentially what i'm saying it is always something of a negotiation um red bull uh, and Max could may well have decided that they just want to stay in their P2, but they then inevitably would have got a penalty, um, which would have been determined by the stewards. Okay. And can I answer like your hypothetical? Um, I think if Max was supposed to give a position back, he was just really supposed to give it back to Hamilton. It had nothing to do with Ocon. So I think he was going to have to take two places back, which he did because Ocon was first, Lewis was second, and Max started P3 for the third restart, the third and the final restart of that race because we had three restarts. That's why I was like, yesterday's race was unnecessarily long and it just had a lot of sham and like we, it was exciting, <laughs> but all for the wrong reasons. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, I think we're going to get to like the main villain um, thing now, which is after the second restart so the third time we had the race because um red bull did subsequently agree to give the position back it meant now that esteban ocon was leading the race um hamilton p2 max p3 um 
And uh, so we mentioned the poor start that Max got on his on the first restart on the hard tires. I don't know if they were concerned about um, Max getting temperature into his tires, but then they made another tire swap and put him on a, on a fresh set of medium tires, um, whilst the front two were both on on hard tires. At this stage, I think Daniel Ricciardo was P4. Um, I can't, I can't even remember or, or Valtteri Bottas. Um, and we have the second restart of the race and Max pulls off the move of the day. Um, I think the decision to put the mediums on, uh, paid off because he got a pretty decent start from P3. Um, I think Hamilton, uh, sort of left the door open. No, no, that's not the right phrase, but I think Hamilton was preoccupied with Ocon and trying to get past Ocon, uh, not fully realizing how much of a good start that Max had got. And Max pulled off an amazing move um, down the inside of those two guys who were squabbling sort of to the middle and outside of the track. And just like that, we have uh, Verstappen into the lead, overtaking two cars in one corner and Hamilton uh, chasing him down. Incredible, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you had if you imagined that start, or oh, pardon? Move of the, the day. day. I, I think so. You don't think so? You know what? I, no, not at all, because while um, he... Okay, well, really, I'm going to be very biased in this episode because <laughs> Max pulled a lot of terrorism on the track that I can't even credit him. Well, I barely credit Max in anything, really. But this in this specific episode, I'm not even going to do it. That was, that was not move of the day. He was just, whatever. Like, let me not even get into that. <laughs> really not going to get into that because... I can't believe that. I'm not saying he drove well. I just think it was... I mean, there was not... There were not a lot of other great moves. Um, and I think it was it was extremely ballsy, and you know he spotted a gap, um, and he took it, and and you know I think it's just largely been forgotten because of what would happen after the race. But yeah, fair enough, fair enough. We, okay, we do okay, have wait. we do have I, I our allegiances. Let me agree with that. He saw a gap, took it, and overtook t- and overtook two cars. And that's it. I, there was nothing phenomenal about it, but yes, that's what it, that's what happened. <laughs> Cars in one corner is not phenomenal. Really? Yes. <laughs> if you're going to do something that is quote-unquote phenomenal and then a few laps later do something very terrible, then it erases all the good that you've done during that race. For me, that is. No, I mean, I think I think if we're, yeah, let me say, like if we're, if we're giving uh, driver ratings, you know, he doesn't score very highly, Max, for this race. But um, it was a combination of, I think, a really good move and the fact that there wasn't a lot of on-track um, overtaking in this race, uh, largely due to the stop-start nature of it. Um, but, you know, then we had a situation now where, again, um, uh, I can't remember if if Hamilton was still behind Ocon um, after that corner. I think he was, but he dispatched him within a within a lap. He he he. If if Red Bull fans had any hope that Ocon would be able to um, hold up Max, I'm sorry, hold up Hamilton for even say two or three laps, it didn't last half a lap. Uh, Hamilton stayed right on right on Ocon's tail, got DRS down the start, finished straight, and dispatched of him very, very easily. And then it once again for 
the umpteenth time this season you have the two championship um, protagonists. Uh, 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 protagonists. Ah, Nazo big words uh the, the two championship protagonists um battling out again so it's it's important to note at this stage that max was on a new set of medium tires um and there was a discussion um uh with uh between hamilton and his and his team about whether or not being on the hard tire was the correct choice bono was absolutely um emphatic that the hard tire is the right tire to be on um I don't know if Red Bull were, you know, I, I do think, again, they were they were concerned, first of all, about uh, Max's inability to get temperature into the hard tires of the, of the first restart. And um, and secondly, uh, they, they probably try, they were probably hoping that whilst the mediums might drop off, uh, that if, Ham, if Verstappen can keep Max behind him, that he might end up ruining his 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 hard tires and subsequently not be able to beat him. Uh, it was a it was a risky strategy. I think also um, that didn't wait, quite um, pay off it, in the end, but it nearly well, did. But the hard the hard tires. I think Bono did say that like he was pretty certain that the hard tire was the perfect tire to be on. Right, like Lewis did question. Yes, if yeah. The, the need. Oh, okay, yeah. I just wanted to clarify that. And then after that, after that, there happened. I think there was. A crash as well. Well, there wasn't a crash. There was a lot of debris on track because of due to the due to the crashes. And FIA completely disregarded that. They just basically deployed a lot of virtual safety cars without without actually considering that any other debris. Wait, guys, mind you, that track is a very high speed um track with high speed corners. So any little debris could have resulted in a puncture and imagine the kind for and it had a lot of blind corners as well so now you're a driver yeah who is at a very high speed track you get a puncture and then another car literally will hit you from behind and go into the barrier so that was really completely reckless and i hate that the fia had me agreeing with alonzo that's another story we'll get to you'll get into but if you've been watching <laughs> Formula One for years, you know the beef between hamilton and alonzo fans well it's not really a beef but we'll just it, we'll get into that some other day but basically the fia had me agreeing with alonzo um in terms of how dangerous the track was with all the debris and even it wasn't just only dangerous for the um drivers it was also dangerous for the marshals because we have a virtual safety car virtual safety car means the driver's aren't bunched up but they reduce their speed by 40 percent so they can race they're still going at like relatively high speeds and they could literally have hit the marshals because the track was still spread out though every sector had a car and like when there's a virtual when there's a safety car deployed where all the track is like bunched up and like half the se- half the second is um half the second is clean so that the marshals can clean that so do you see how ridiculous and irresponsible the FIA was by just deploying virtual safety car after virtual safety car. And also before that, no after that, you have it's a new circuit. We don't know how the tire degrades. And I guess the teams want to know the tire degradation degradation on that track, but we have a virtual safety car that saves a lot of tires, which was a disadvantage for Mercedes because I guess in the garage, there was also hopes that the mediums would wear off instantly, even though we did not know how high the tide dag was, but there was just hopes of that. So basically, this was just really, really, really irresponsible. I'm really mad if you guys can hear, can tell, like I'm really, really mad. And just thinking about it, just pisses me off again. 
I think you summed it up when you said it was reckless and irresponsible. And I really like the point that you make that it was not only dangerous for the drivers um, where guys were coming around blind corners um, and so would not have been able to see the debris um, and, you know, could potentially have got a puncture. Um, it was also incredibly dangerous for the stewards, for the marshals rather, um, who would have to sweep up the track. As you mentioned, that's a very, very important distinction between a virtual safety car and a full safety car. Um, with a virtual safety car, all drivers, you know, at the point at wherever they are on their track have to reduce their speed by 40%. Um, whereas under a full safety car, the, the, the field bunches up essentially um, and the speed is controlled by the safety car. And with the, with the cars all being bunched up, it means that large parts of the track are left um, open and, and it, not unattended, but it allows you the opportunity to clean up properly um, with little to no jeopardy um, for the marshals and also gives you a long time so that they can do their job properly. Um, I, 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 you, you've said it, you've said everything. I, I don't have anything more to add and I'm in full agreement and it's, you know, just worth pointing out that it is completely at odds with the safety first um, logic behind deploying the red flag. Once we realized that the barriers were damaged um, after Schumacher's crash. So, you know, on the one hand you're saying safety guys um, and then on the other hand, you're doing, utterly ridiculous stuff um, that is not only dangerous for the drivers, but for the marshals. Um, and it's just, also, it's just worth, worth noting that this is such a narrow track. It's a street circuit, quote unquote. So we'll, uh, I'm not even going to start about that, but it's a very narrow circuit. Um, normal racing tracks are quite wide. I mean, you've, we've seen images of cars at circuits like Barcelona, where you've got three wide with room, right? So you've got cars three wide going into a corner and they all have enough room. Uh, you could barely, you know, fit three cars across the, across the entire racetrack in Saudi. And not just that. So um, it does happen when there's debris at like sort of what I call proper racetracks. Um, like traditional the, the, racetracks. Sometimes the debris is so far off the racing line that there's almost no jeopardy. Um, this track was so narrow that um, even if the debris was slightly off the racing line, um, all it takes is a little bit of understeer from a driver and he's going to go straight over that and damage his car. So it was an absolute farce, reckless and irresponsible. I, I couldn't agree more. But what, it, but what this did mean for the race, yes, sorry. I'm so, I I wanted to mention like I I I just wanted to get like this thing um to also um understand or well, not understand speak on how after all of that safety concern then there's another driver who pulls another safety concern on my driver I'm sorry that one is literally still pissing me off right now. <laughs> are we talking? Uh, are we talking about the the Verstappen and Hamilton? We'll get we'll get there. Is that what you're talking about, or is it something else? Yes, yes, that one. Yeah. Okay. So I think, you know, again, just if anyone perhaps didn't watch this race, um, you're lucky to not watch it. Um, but uh, one thing that this these virtual safety cars did was that it meant that there were quite a lot of laps um, where Max Verstappen 
was going to be quite gentle on his tires. And of course, you know, in the context of the championship where, or the race where um, Mercedes would have been hoping that Max's mediums would drop off, every lap under the virtual safety car um, meant that Max's tires might be able to go just that little bit further. And um, safety, the virtual safety car must have been deployed um, more than once, but for several laps at a time, um, which I would imagine would have really had Hamilton worried. Um, and you could see it in the stint because um, he was pushing Max so hard. I think I actually tweeted at the time that there's absolutely no way that the Verstappen could make it to the end of the race um, uh, on his mediums because in, in response to the, to the pressure from Hamilton, he was driving the most aggressive lines you, you, could, you could imagine. Um, taking the corners, I mean, the Red Bull is very, very um, uh, a sharp, pointy car, so it does take corners quite well, but Max was driving... Um, Almost as if he had to drive on a on a piece of string, and it was all, it, it was such aggressive lines in order to find the lap time to stay ahead of Hamilton that it felt inevitable to me that Hamilton that his tires would eventually drop off, and uh, that sort of happened. Um, and I think we're going to get to the first uh, little bit of controversy. I mean, I keep saying the first bit of controversy, and we've mentioned like. But um, I think there's there's like there's controversies within controversies. But you know, um, Hamilton after yet another virtual safety car restart um, uh, was yes, quite close to zone. Verstappen. I think he yeah, got into gets the into the DRS zone. zone. Yes, he did. Yeah, uh, sort of it came out of the hairpin um, and. Uh, Hamilton was relatively close because I mean not not because but you know there was no dirty air um, after the virtual safety car and he gets into the DRS he move, has a has a battle with Max Max defends really really hard um, he moves over to 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 the outside of the track or did he move over to the inside I actually can't remember now um, please forgive me if I've made a mistake the there again. yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So, you know, trying to defend Hamilton. Hamilton uh, certainly um, was ahead at that point. Um, once again, they seem to, to, be, to be squabbling over the outside of the track. And, um, uh, you know, if you have Red Bull leaning sensibilities, you might say that he pushed him off. I don't think you could properly argue that but nevertheless once again max goes over the curves curbs um and retakes the lead of the race having been behind going into the corner and this is where uh, the controversy starts now because once again max gets told to give the position back to hamilton that message and came then, through and mm -hmm. then after then he <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't need you to um, narrate this part because, well, you're going to be very biased and I need everyone to see it from how it really was. He got into okay, he was All right, all right. I'll, I'll, leave this, I'll leave this in your hands. Yeah, go for it. He was told to give the position back. And here, this is what Max Verstappen does. He just stops in the middle of the track, 
for two seconds and then um he yeah he stops in the middle of the track for two seconds and here comes the hamilton who's confused his engineers haven't told him that max is going back back the position we don't know what's happened he doesn't know what's happened he's completely in the dark and imagine you're racing and suddenly your opponent is just stopping in the middle of the track and that's a compo- that, that's a opponent that's known to be very hot-headed at times where you don't know he's very unpredictable so you don't know if he's if he's trying a trick He's brake testing you. He's just doing. You don't know what he's doing. So you stay behind him to try to try and understand what's happening. And then he he stops in the middle of the track. Two seconds later, he's off again. And you're like, what exactly is this man trying to do? Like I was really pissed off because they make contact. Lewis um runs into Max's rear wing and yeah. But but then it, there's not much damage to both cars. Lewis just had a um damaged front wing. But they just felt like, okay, let's give props to the Mercedes um, engineers because they structured that front wing because it was broken but still held on to the very, very last lap without affecting the car's pace. So kudos to Mercedes engineers. I need you guys to fix up my life or structure it that way. But <laughs> um, then we get also to, um, and I think that's an, like, another lap where Maxwell hasn't given back the position, but I, we can argue that if you're a Red Bull fan, you can basically argue that um, Lewis was far behind. So Max had to stop for that to happen or like Lewis had to catch up for that to happen. But like there was just so many, you could have, if you're going to give a position back, you you have to rightfully s- slow down so your opponent can go fast and not slow down at a point where you're at an advantage. Like you don't do it strategically where you have to stop where you, maybe you're in a DR zone and you can literally give it back and then two seconds later, take it back. You need to... um give like sort of you need to give it fair and square basically that's what i'm just trying to say you need to give it fair and square and that's what what he did again and then i think there was like three incidents i don't remember i think there was just like uh, the only thing i don't understand and i'm gonna need you to answer this for me right is okay if we accept that hamilton did not have um the information that max had been told to give the position back Right, so Hamilton believes they're racing at this stage. Then you see a car in front of you that's suddenly driving a lot slower. Why don't you just overtake him? Why not? Because like I don't understand. I don't understand this. <laughs> it's not just any other driver. Had it been any other driver, Lewis would have just overtaken them and like gone past. This is Max. You're just trying to understand what happened. Remember in. Brazil where I think it was right after the safety car like the safety car had just ended and they started a lap and Max was weaving on the straight again and he was told not to do that so Lewis was just actually confused he was just trying to understand what's exactly happened is he going to weave on is he going to weave again on the track is he try is that his way of defending because like I said he stopped in the middle of the track for two seconds one two and then he was off again so you're like what was happening? You know, he was just really confused. Can you also think about how these people are under pressure? Um, Hamilton was trying to catch Verstappen and he's literally in his like racing mindset, you know, and he's just trying to understand what's happening. So in that way, you can't actually be, what's the word? You have to react very fast. You have to understand like what's happening. It's either I take this or I don't take this. So he could not have overtaken Mike. Like the first thought in his head wouldn't have to overtake because he didn't understand what was going on. That's basically it. No, and I think uh, I if he doesn't understand what's going on, I, I think you know he would have had his steering wheel. He wouldn't. He would have would have not seen 
any information to suggest, you know, yellow flags up ahead or potentially another safety car. I mean, I, I'm certainly willing to to be kind to him and say, well, um, there was there've been so many safety cars already at this point that you might actually just be anticipating one. Um, I I can't help but feel that he was just trying to make sure that. Um, he doesn't pass Verstappen before the DRS zone, um, and I think it was actually noted in the stewards in the stewards report that you know there was a, a very decent argument that Hamilton should have just gone past, but you know there was a DRS zone just ahead, and uh, I mean if 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 they don't want um, drivers to give back positions um, at particular parts of the track, then they must just say so. Um, or rather just don't have DRS zones. I mean, DRS zones are a new thing um, comparatively in Formula One that were designed to assist overtaking. So, you know, on the human level, I don't have, I I totally understand why Hamilton may not have wanted to overtake him before the DRS zone. Um, But, you know, what was Max going to do? What I think was that Lewis was, strategically also trying to overtake overtake max in a way where if max was to literally drive him off track which is which he's known to do that by defending in well in his head defending is driving people off track lois didn't just want to be um next to the barriers so i think lois was also thinking that if this man is just going to stop in the middle in the middle of the track and i try to overtake overtake and then he pushes me off to the barriers then both our races are basically done like i my my race is done and if lewis didn't get to finish the race he would have been at a much bigger um disadvantage than max because max had an eight point lead by then you understand so it was more of a if i overtake now he's stopping in the middle of the track i overtake now i'm next to the barrier and he tries to defend me by pushing me off i'm literally going to go to the barrier and then it's going to ruin my car even more yeah and and again i i i'm totally I'm kind of with you um, in terms of like there was a lot that he was thinking about, but I just, I don't know. I just struggled to look past why didn't he just overtake him? Uh, And there was a lot, you know, that he had to consider. Um, But I think, you know, was that maybe around, but that was lap 37. Um, There were 50 laps in the race. Uh, It felt to me that the Mercedes certainly had the pace um, overall, um, yes, he might have, Max might have got DRS back and, you know, perhaps passed them down the straight. Um, but that would have had, there would have been 12 laps to go. And I still think that overall, the Mercedes did have the race pace. Um, but, you know, we don't, we all don't have crystal balls and, and, and Lewis would have wanted to take his opportunity when it presented itself to him. Um, you know, it was interesting that he that he mentioned post race that uh, the confusion that you're talking about that he wasn't sure what was going on, um, and I just and I think that's just an important thing to realize um, or to recognize in the context of the conversation because you know Max had slowed down, um, and yeah, you know, I, th- I I I just I just think at the end of the day Hamilton should have passed him. He overthought it. Yes, there was a lot to think about, um, but you know that was un- that was unsavory. Uh, you know, it's it's worth noting that Max did get a ten second time penalty, as he was deemed by the FIA 
after this to have been predominantly at fault. It's the same wording that they used at Silverstone and they've in, used it a couple of Monza. other incidents about at Monza um, where the wording is, is around who is predominantly at fault, um, which I think is, which I think is fair and reasonable. Um, you know, that, that, you know, this wasn't a, a black and white issue. Um, and, you know, Hamilton did over, overthink something. Um, Verstappen, you know, downshifted. I think he was down to second gear at some stage, and uh, and and it was there was there was the collision. Unsavory again because you just don't want to see this sort of thing happening um, unnecessarily. But it happened, um, and you're right because then Verstappen actually did drive off, and the and the the incident was under investigation for a couple of laps. Um, and how did Hamilton eventually eventually get past him? Did did Max give the position back later? I actually can't even remember now. So all things are blurred. No, I think Max didn't try to get the didn't give the position back. Lewis actually did overtake at lap around lap forty three, lap forty four. Actually, um, Lewis took the lead of the race at lap forty four, which is quite a, like you know, um, what do they call it? I don't know what. <laughs> uh, that is poetic. <laughs> Lewis is number 44 he, oh, he took the lead of the race at um, lap 44 but that's just me being a fan and a stan and then after that Lewis extended his lead and he was flying purple lap after purple lap he was um told not to he was told to stay off the curbs because at the end of the day you're just trying he had a damaged car so he had to bring it home had to make sure that it lasted until the very very last lap until he finished the until he went over the finish line so yeah, um, after all the terrorist attacks, Max tried to pull on Lewis this race. But Lewis still got past him, fair and square. Well, he wanted fair and he wanted fair and square. Uh, yep, and then that is, we uh, get to one hundred and one percent. Wait, and then after that, after Lewis um gets to the finish line, Max also is like I think seven seconds behind, but um once he gets to the finish line, now. We have um Ocon who was P three and Bottas was P five. Well, Bottas was actually P six going into this. No, he was actually P four. But before before Ocon, there was Ricardo. No, there was Ocon who was P three. Um, P four was Ricardo, and then P five was Bottas. Bottas managed to overtake Ricardo. We didn't get to see that. We just didn't get to see that. And then on the very very last lap, in the very very last lap, a few meters away from the finish line. Butters manages to overtake um Ocon and get that podium position. And I think that was just fantastic. My Mercedes the Mercedes boys were just on fire this weekend. So I guess they really were just dominant. You know, they just yeah, they were just really good. <laughs> no, that was amazing. Again, I I mentioned that I was watching with my cousins and um I think going into you know, Lewis crossed the line and like you said, Max was plus minus seven seconds behind him. Um, and I was actually kind of disappointed by the Sky Feed because, uh, you know, they were obviously miles up the road. They were roughly um, 20 seconds or so um, ahead of P3. And we were watching the timing screens, right? And Valtteri Bottas was about 0.7 seconds behind Ocon. But I knew off, you know, uh, generally just counting off my head that, you know, Bottas may very well have been in DRS. Um, given how far back I anticipated that they were on the track. Um, 
and also just the slight lag in the timing um in the timing charts for Sky. And it was amazing. We were watching it. It was 0.7 of a second. And then suddenly it dropped to 0.2. And then it was 0.1. And then I think it was 0.07 seconds. And then eventually um, they come around the corner and Valtteri Bottas just has his nose and head. I think that was a head that was one of, you know, it's really sad that we didn't see that. But it's amazing how many of us were just sitting watching the timing screens and watching the gap drop and drop and drop and drop. I would have loved to, I would have loved to have seen that um, uh, in real time. But, you know, hats off to Valtteri, um, you know, making a strategy work. I think he was also in the medium tires, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, yeah, he was wonderful job. Tires. Wonderful job. You know what? Also, I found. You know what? Also, found interesting. Apparently, so I went through the Pirelli page right just to see like the pit stops and everything. So apparently, Alonso tried to still fast his lap from Lewis. He pit for the softs, but he still couldn't do it. So I'm just like, well, oh man, why did you just do that then? You know, <laughs> that's actually really hilarious. When did Alonso become the villain? I didn't even pick that up. I was going through the priority page and I just saw that and I think a couple of people brought it on my time and also this morning. Like towards I think the last lap or the the, the, the second last lap, um Alonso pitted for softs and tried to steal the fastest lap from Lewis, but Lewis still had it. Lewis had the faster car and Lewis was on forty year old um forty like old forty lap old tires. So it was just really funny. I just think it was just really funny. I don't know what Alonso is trying to do because one weekend Alonso will say that Red Bull has should never associate him with this title fight or whatever. In the next he's team max. Alonso is just like flip flopping and mm, I'm tired. I don't know why he came back. <laughs> oh my word. I, I I must admit I had not even picked that up. I've not read anything about this race post it. Uh, which is probably why I'm so wrong about so many things that I say, but um, that is that's proper villain stuff. I'm a big fan, big fan of that work. Good, 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 of good. Of course, you uh, are. You're a Max Verstappen fan. Of course, you are. But but I would say, right? Um, apart from Max winning the race, and and this is um, what I always, you know, we 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 get emotional, we get you know into the race and whatever. But I, and I did think I tweeted this because. Like I said, when they started the race and they got off away well, I literally breathed a sigh of relief and I thought, I'm just going to enjoy this race now because um, in my eyes, there was absolutely no chance Max could win it. Um, And uh, it's important to bear in mind that the optics that Sky and and Liberty are going to market to us about the fact that they're level points going into Abu Dhabi, um, that's Hamilton and Verstappen, actually don't matter because if Hamilton, if, if Verstappen had finished P4, right, um, uh, he would have got 12 points instead of 18. And, you know, he would have then been six points behind Lewis Hamilton going into the final race, which doesn't actually change what he has to do to win the championship. Um, if, Hamil- if Verstappen wins the race in Abu Dhabi, he's the world champion. Right. Uh, I know that they're going to be some maths nerds who are going to come at me. Well, if they finish like P4 and P5, then whatever. But that's not going to happen. They're going to finish first and second because they're the best two damn drivers on the grid. And they've shown this time and time Mm-mm, and time let's again. Let's stop there. Let's uh, stop saying they're uh, the uh, best yeah. two drivers. <laughs> 
yeah, no, 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 no. Okay, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll have a, we'll have a when we do our season review. I think we'll, we'll chat about that extensively. But okay, if you accept that, that yeah, if you accept that, the likelihood is that those two guys will finish um, first and second. Um, then it's merely an optics thing because essentially Max has to win if he wants to win the championship. He has to win the race at Abu Dhabi if he wants to win the championship. That wouldn't have changed whether he was P2 or P4. Um, and, 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 and I think in that context, right, it's important, um, certainly from a Red Bull perspective, which is to say, listen, write this one off, um, accept that Max was unacceptable. I've watched him and been supporting the kid for five years. Um, and he's had a lot of um, um, criticisms thrown at him. Uh, many of them were valid. Uh, he's certainly ironed a lot of them out. I think Daniel Ricciardo was um, someone who said something similar quite recently. But um, that's probably his worst performance that I've ever seen. Um, he needs to get his head in the game. And I think that's on a micro level, um, Red Bull Max should just put their hands up uh, and concede that that wasn't good enough. On the macro level, though, um, this was, you know, going into the race, having started P3, if he had brought the car home in P3, it would change absolutely nothing for the objectives for Abu Dhabi. So it's important from a, a Red Bull perspective to not let this way heavy um is to try and try and 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 run it off i don't know how um because i think that you know mentally he's finished um for this season because it's been so long um but you know red bull and 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 max have one more chance to dig deep and 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 try do something special in abu dhabi the opt so it's just an optics thing it looks great because they're both on level points but it doesn't actually change what needed to happen for next weekend. Yeah, what needs to happen um, for next weekend? In Abu Dhabi, whoever wins wins the championship. If Lewis wins, um, he's the world champion. If Max wins, he's the world champion. Oh my god, I choked while saying that, but sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, yep, that's absolutely correct. Uh, but that's the whole weekend wrapped up. What I also want to say was that I saw a lot of criticism on a lot of the media and just people in general saying that why is F1 deciding to race in Saudi Arabia with how given with um given that they have backward um laws and just very harsh laws they don't accept the L, like the LGBTQI plus community women have just started driving so there was just a lot of um issues but I also wanted to highlight that um in all the countries that we race in. Saudi Arabia is not the only one with, with those issues. Um, even Hungary has um very harsh LBTQI um laws. I think I think they're not allowed. I think you're not same sex marriages are not allowed. And Europe is very Islamophobic, especially France. So what I was just saying is that all of this was basically the media um pushing narrative, a very Islamophobic um narrative, and a lot of people are feeding into it because when people go to the Middle East suddenly everyone is a human rights activist. But when we go to Europe, people just 
forget that or we, when we go to like america where literally abortion was banned in the city that people which that we were racing in i just feel like it was a bit hypocritical but then it is what it is i think human beings are very hypocritical but it doesn't your hypocrite like being a hypocrite doesn't need to affect other people's religion it doesn't need to be humble to other people's religion and way of life that's actually just what i wanted to highlight in terms of like all of that controversy i think that's a point very very well made and i fully agree with you that there were certainly tones of islamophobia um uh, i my and and i think the point that you make is quite correct that we should be constantly aware um about about uh, where we're racing and the fact that um, Saudi Arabia had got such um, uh, attention, um, it, you know, is slightly disingenuous given the other places that the sport goes. I think again, um, also to back up sort of the Formula One Formula One stance is that they're going to be there for ten years, and if you believe in the power of sport to change and uplift societies. The fact that they're going back, unlike, for example, um, when Tyson Fury, uh, this is just an example, Tyson Fury um, was due to fight Anthony Joshua. Um, it was billed, oh, uh, billed to be in, in Saudi Arabia. It might have been the, the Fury-Wilder fight. The point, is, the point is that they would have just gone in, made a lot of money and left, right? Um, it would have been a once-off event, but Formula One is going to be there for 10 years. And sport is a powerful tool for for empowering change, and I think that's something that F one should probably uh, be patted on the back for. Um, hypothetically, I just can't find the words. But I would say, um, slightly counter to that is that there was an element, and it felt like as a consumer that there was a lot of sports watching going on, and sports watching essentially is where you know, the establishment pays and pays to get a sanitized image um, of the place. And as much as you, you're correct that um, we race in places like France, which have been known to be Islamophobic, um, we raced in Austin where um, abortion um, was, was, was made illegal, I believe. I, I don't know the, the exact um, the, the 100% legal stance. I don't think that Formula One tried to sanitize those places. And I think that's something that we need to be very aware of. Um, we were constantly bombarded this weekend with, um, we had people talking, we had uh, during the practice session, one of the Mercedes guys was on the radio and it was televised to Massey or the race director about, well done on getting this, this track finished on time. Um, what an awesome racetrack, you know, Valtteri Bottas was saying this sort of stuff. And we had this from a number of people, both on the circuit and off it in the garage. And um, that's what I was deeply uncomfortable with, which is um, the blatant sports washing and trying to sanitize the image of a place. Um, we should just be careful of that and we should watch out for it. And the Formula One is not alone. Football, they've been doing this in football for ages. Um, and there's an important discussion to be had there about governments and their involvement in sport. Um, but I do agree with you fully. And, and it's a nuanced and difficult conversation, but it does need to be had. And we do need to check ourselves 
um, as the consumers of this media about what narratives we put out there and how we talk about particular parts of the world, even the words that we use, you know, backwards and et cetera, um, we should think about them quite, quite closely. Yeah, and I also think um, I, I have to agree with you that like sports really is the not once one of the most powerful tools in terms of fighting inequality and a lot of um, the, the the societal issues. And we need to, and if we mention them, we also need to um, give a huge shout out to Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel for what they have done. Um, I think Sebastian got women. Um, he got like a few girls, and he was driving them in. Like, he got them, and then they raced in a cutting i think it was a cutting session i'm not really um i don't really know the details of it yeah it and was then lewis wears, yeah and then lewis wears um, a helmet a helmet that shows um that exhibit that has all the lgbtq lgbtqi um colors even the transgender one and the black transgenders like he's Hamlet, if if you're a family one fan just go through um the mercedes page and just go look at lewis hamilton's um helmet you see that it doesn't really represent the lgbtqi um community it, it's very inclusive of every single person that like it's, it's like an umbrella of everything but then also it has it has a few standouts and i think that's just really fantastic and also what seb is doing is really really phenomenal and i just think we need to do that also i've they apparently um so they do this thing right before the race where they kneel right and Seb was um on the opposite side of Lewis, and then he just moved to then to take the knee right next to Lewis. So both the shirts had a message. So Lewis has all Lewis's shirts during the race have like a message, but Seb and Lewis next to each other that was really really powerful. I think that's just really a powerful moment. And what these two are doing for the sport and just for other people, for minorities and everyone else is just really fantastic. Couldn't agree more, and I think that's a. That's a lovely way to like end off, uh, you know, a positive, you know, a positive. I, I know I've been very grumpy <laughs> um, and uh, I was like, like uh, weird enough, again, I was actually fine when, when I was watching the race and then it was only when I logged into Twitter and F1 Twitter that I suddenly, my blood pressure went through the roof. But um, I think you're right. Um, and, you know, again, I certainly put my hands up. I'm not here to defend nonsense. Um Max was not, um, it was far off the standards required of a Formula One driver. It's no cons- It's no um, coincidence that he got two penalty points on his license um, after yesterday. Um, again, that's the micro stuff. But on the macro scale, we've got sudden death next week. Um, I can't call it right now. I do think, yeah, I, you just can't call it. They'll finish first and second. Um one of them will be a world champion either for the eighth time or for the first time. And and either way, history is going to be made. I think it's a fitting oh way God, to end I the season. Oh my God, I hate that tagline so much. Uh, <laughs> what? That history is going to be made? Yeah, but it's true. Like in either, like whichever, whoever wins <laughs> makes history. But I'm just, we've been shoved down that line. So like that line has been shoved down our throats so many times that I'm really just mad that I have to hear it over again. Like I'm, you know, I was actually sad yesterday or in the morning when I realized that this match is, this is the last race weekend of the year, of the season. But then I see all these things and I'm like, you know what, maybe really do need a break from all of this. Maybe I really just need to go touch grass. I need to go see people, hang out, you know, 
drink drink alcohol drink coffee spend time with my family and stop being so consumed by the sport and all this and all its politics it's literally taken over my whole life you know how nice it is outside just to go outside and breathe fresh air. I, I cannot wait. It's going to be more than 100 days. It's just just more than three months between Abu Dhabi and the first race in Bahrain next year. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to switch off. Um, I'm exhausted as a fan after this year. I can't imagine how exhausted the guys in the paddock and the drivers must be. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to switching off and just being a normal member of, of, of society, you know, just but you doing stuff like, football. you know, doing, doing my own, doing my own grocery shopping instead of getting like checkers 60, 60, because I can't afford to miss like the race. Like it, that, that is, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to being a human again. Oh, you're saying this, like the football season isn't back fully, but okay, we'll get into that some other time. No, I but uh, I, 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 my Manchester United problems are, uh, are, are many. There, there are many, and this is at least without Formula One, there's one less problem. And you know, I've got some tennis to look forward to. Australian Open in January. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm going to forget that this stupid sport exists. <laughs> okay, well, in that case, you and I could go on and on and on about Formula One. You know, we could talk for like three hours straight without stopping. But I think this concludes um, this past race weekend. And we have Abu Dhabi, which is the last race of the season. And we have that to look forward to. And then after that, we're just back to normal life. Absolutely. Uh, have a good week. Look after yourself, look after your loved ones. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Take care of yourself. Ciao.